All right, I'm here with Noah Geisel again. Take two, Actful 2019. We're just having a good time, Noah. Just having an awesome time, Chris. Sorry about having to sneak off on you. That's okay. You know, I'm you, back. You did a good interview with Thomas, <laughs> and we got some. Got we talked about um, some equity and social justice and what that looks like in the classroom. Um, but really, what I want to get into is a little bit more of your story, your background. Um, uh, you're a veteran, and uh, I think you got a lot to say. And I think you're a wise man. <laughs> um, the pressure is on. Um, so just, just tell us out. a little bit in the context of uh, language uh, here at Actful 2019. Like what? Uh, Perspective. What, I, what's I, your I, story? Like, what? Where have you been? What have you done? You're like teacher of the year. Um, you probably sit on many sigs and boards, and you, you've been doing this work for a long time, man. Uh, well, and thank you, first of all. Uh, it's an honor, it's a privilege, and I think one of the things that I would encourage people to think about is also the responsibility that, that comes with these types of recognitions. That yes. a lot of it is. Um, certainly a really amazing pat on the back and it is also a uh, kind of tapping you for a lifelong uh, sense of responsibility to not just take from the profession but give to it and, and make it better and you know seek out other people and, and lift them up and um, I'm all too happy to do it it's an, it's an honor and a privilege that's I mean that's important <laughs> no that uh, that's important like giving back Right. Once you get recognition, not not letting your ego blow up. Right. So, I mean, Noah, it's you do have a big ego, but it's a good it's ego. Massive. It's massive. It's, it's huge, <laughs> but it's a good one. And it's it, uh, it. You know, we get we get a little bit of uh, dosing of humility here and there. But uh, oh, I think everybody loves I think everybody loves them. So uh, Noah, right? <laughs> I don't know how red I'm turning. Good thing oh, this is just yeah. an audio it's podcast. A, yeah. Um, I should live tweet this, man. <laughs> no, I, you know, one of the best things about getting to, you know, go around in two different conferences, two different districts is, is get your finger on the pulse. And so, like you said, you know, I, I do have the opportunity to be involved both, you know, at my at Colorado at CCFLT. Um, last year I was the president of the organization. This year I'm past president. And, you know, in May that'll wrap up, you know, probably seven, eight years of serving, you know, right. my colleagues in Colorado on that board. And, you know, getting, I've been to Flank and, you know, all these state organizations and regional organizations, and you start to see patterns. And, you know, something that's just really exciting to me, I mean, a few things. One is definitely the enthusiasm. Like, it's not a flavor of the week or drop in the bucket around the intercultural um, standards, intercultural competencies, and, you know, this focus on equity not just being this word that's forced upon us in a PLC, right? Right. But, or something that's really just a token, you know, anything. If people get it and are passionately fu- and fumbling, yeah. <laughs> clumsily trying yeah. to figure out what to do about it because right. it's hard, it's uncomfortable. It is hard work. And like people get it, that it's important. And so, that, you know, that, that's what trend that I'm seeing. I'm also seeing a trend of people, you know, moving. I, I think that the... Actful core practices and the actual 90% target language statement made a difference. And I think that you're seeing more and more people, regardless of any sort of kind of pedagogical preferences, I think you're seeing people who it just makes sense that I don't need to teach about the language, I need to teach in the language. Mm. Um, you know, that you have these amazing leaders from the regional conferences, the Teacher of the Year candidates, you know, talking about, you know, like, 
Nobody goes into a math teacher and tells them to, you know, talk less math in the classroom, right? No. Right, right. <laughs> That's that you made an important important statement about uh, uh, the ninety percent target. You know, I like to touch on that a little bit. Um, so we, we know the importance of uh, providing uh, input that's uh, comprehensible, right, to our yeah. students and, and providing ways. How can we do that 90%, make it comprehensible, but yet touch on these communities and culture standards that we have for MACFL? Like, what are, what are some of the ways? And it's positive that you're seeing that momentum, that, mm-hmm. that equity is not just a buzzword. Uh, social justice is not just uh, uh, something repackaged and new, but people are taking it on in it and applying it, right? So, what you know. And I think the curiosity is just like such a valuable tool in this journey that if you want to find it, you know, I mean, we're just lucky that in you know, 2019, 2020, stuff is out there. It's accessible. You are a Google search away, right? You are a hashtag search on Twitter or Instagram, you Disrupt know, or TikTok text. now. To, to disrupting the text, yeah. exactly. I mean, th- this stuff is out there, and it's, it's on us to find it, and it's on us to, to ask for help. Right. That you, we don't have to have all the answers. There are a whole lot of other people out there. You're not alone. You aren't alone. At all. There's people out there who are waiting for you to ask them help. Exactly. A- and they will. Utilize um, those, those uh, like Twitter has some of the best, like I, I mentioned hashtag uh, disrupt text, you know, and Dory. Mm. Dory's doing some great works with that. Um, it's like there's PD out there. It's free. It's open. There's people willing to talk. Um, LJ Randolph. There's just so many people doing this work, and it's out there. But like as I mentioned, like what are some what are some of the things in your travels and your experiences that you've seen that uh, teachers using this 90% target language? How can we how can we implement? And the biggest thing is. I think it's really important for teachers to give themselves permission to be them. You do you, That's right? That, that you can see, you know, we're just, I'm just looking out over Chris's shoulder at the conference floor and seeing all these just famous language teachers. And, you know, I don't think that teachers, you know, need to put themselves in a situation of, I need to be like this person, right? I, I need to have this person's energy. I need to have this person's creativity. I need to have this person's weirdness. You know, like, you do you. Right. And that's going to be the best you for your students. Uh-huh. Um, you know, in my personal journey, honestly, was less about best practices and more about growing up and really wanting to know Spanish. Right. And just not having quality instruction for the most part. Right. And so when I started teaching, a lot of what motivated me was just like, I need to do anything that looks different than, than what, what I, it my didn't experience. Work. It yeah. didn't work. I, yeah. I, like, I have pretty good data. So did you have a <laughs> similar, didn't work. yeah, yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. I, I'm, I'm the data. Yeah, I am I'm the data. Walking data. I, I, so, you know, and, and, and I don't want to completely, you know, bag on any my former teachers, amazing humans, right? dedicated professionals who didn't have the access to what we have today as right. language educators as far as professional development goes. And so when I started teaching, I, you know, I just knew what I didn't want to do because it yeah. didn't work for me as a highly motivated student, right? right? I was a kid who was good at playing the game of school. I was a kid who wanted to not just get an A, but actually learn the material, yeah. and I didn't, right? They, they yeah. do, it took, I went all through high school, college, you know, and moved to the Dominican Republic, getting a taxi on the way home from the airport, and after you know a few minutes, I had to just give him the printout from the email of the address because I wasn't able with my language to just get from point A to point B after right. you know, 10 plus years of consecutive language study. And so- you couldn't do it. Yeah, and it was because, you know, I mean, So you couldn't interact in the culture. Teachers were teaching about the language. Not 
And so I, for I, acquisition. No, I, and then that's exactly it. And, and it wasn't for and, acquisition. And I think that that's the culture is where I fell in love with the language. Exactly. That I grew up in you know a minority majority community where most of the kids in my school were Latino, and, and while a lot of them were not necessarily Spanish-speaking, their parents were Spanish-speaking, or right. at least Spanish-cursing when they got mad at their kids. Right. And so I'm at their house, I'm like, what right. is this secret code? <laughs> right. They, want, I, I want, want to know that. I want to know this. I want to be able to say it. I want to, you curiosity, know. Curiosity, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, and then when but I the did get to study abroad, curiosity. when I lived abroad, I, I was just so, it was, yeah, it was just this everyday marvel of everything around me. You know, I, I definitely was not drawn to Spanish because of, you know, the plus con perfecto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't either <laughs> at all. Right. So I think you mentioned like the culture was what triggered you, like really inspired you to want to like better your Spanish. And that's kind of what that's my story, man. It was like all about is all about the culture and bringing that back. Uh, back from? From wherever I was at. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, just saying like culture in general, like the only place I've ever lived abroad was in Spain. Mm. Um, so I have that experience. My wife is from Spain, um, Sevilla. Uh, so but I mean, culture in general whether you've traveled or not, bringing that back into your classroom, I think is very important. And I think being yourself is important. I think acknowledging where you are is important, especially when we talk about being equitable in our classroom. We also need to see who's walking in our classroom, right? And then we can know what types of things we can instruct them in, right? How, mm -hmm. we, can, how we can accommodate the students that are in our rooms, right? I think that's equally as important as to stay in in the target language 90% of the time. Cause sometimes Honestly, it's probably more important because the fact is is that I don't care how good we are as a high school Spanish teacher, like, you know, somewhere between like 0 and 0.1% 0 of the tunes we ever teach are going to become, you know, fluent because of our classes. Right. Right? It's more on us to light the fire. Right. Plant the seed. Plant the seed. Right. Yeah. Is another person put it the other night to me, you know, not just light the fire, but, but, but don't hide the matches. Right. We want them to have access to keep that fire going. Yes. And so, you know, if we can hook them on the culture. So how can we not the language hide the matches? will come uh, on their own. You know, for me, it's the culture, man. And, and it's the, the other great thing about culture is it's not just what we're experts at. It's not just what we're passionate about. Culture is in everything, right? Everywhere. So where, whatever a young person is interested in, there is something in the target language's culture that we can then tap into to appeal to that interest. So you know, whether it's music, whether it's a specific type of music, art, dance, um, you know, fashion, um, famous people, wh right. whatever, there is something there. And, and whether it's in the target language or not, right? It, it, the presentation of it, the learning, uh -huh. As long as it's we, we're making accessible to students, I think we're going to be lighting the fire and, and you know putting out a bunch of matchbooks. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's I think that's super important. And we also like in thinking about that, bringing culture into our classrooms. We also need to think about our perspectives. I'm a white educator, right? And I teach uh, heritage students. Uh, I have to be open. I have to be vulnerable to my students, right? In order for them to see me as who I am and what my role is as their teacher of a language that they know already. It's their culture, right? So I'm a guest in their culture. Um, what do you think about that? Like, what do you, what would you say to teachers that, that are guests in others, other people's culture, what they can do? I think it's, I, like I said, I think it's about being humble, doing a lot of self-reflection, 
uh, trying to get those uh, biases that you bring to the table out, um, which really helps us engage culturally our students, right? And I couldn't agree more. And um, I mean, this is definitely a place where I'm, you know, way more on the learning side than the teaching well, side. Well, we're all still um, learning, right? And, you know, something that I've been trying to read about it is this notion of, you know, decentering. And um, you know, that that might be a place if you are a kind of white, straight, cis male, like that might be a really great place to start, start. looking into things yeah. and, and uh, asking lots of questions. And, you know, I, when folks whose job it is not to tell me how to be, <laughs> you know, more culturally responsive or nonetheless gracious enough to share their wisdom with me, you know, that one of the things I ask them, is it okay for me to ask this? Is it okay? And they say, the important thing is keep asking. Right. But there might not be a right answer. My answer might be totally the, the complete opposite of what somebody else tells you. But yeah. as long as you're asking the question and not assuming you have the answers, right. you know, th that's a good place to be. And so I, that, that's kind of something I'm really, that's, that's the truth I'm trying to live right now, man. Yeah. You in the classroom now? I don't think I've ever I, asked. I am. Um, I'm teaching at University of Colorado Denver. It's not a language class, however, right. but I'm, it's a really awesome class. It's filling my cup. It's called Digital Media and Learning. And oh, wow. It's all about how we learn uh -huh. in you know, 2019 and beyond. And yeah. you're helping students kind of wrap their heads around the notion that a whole lot of our learning is informal, that it's you know, outside of two bells and four walls, and it's right. all, we're learning on YouTube. Right, the, the video gamers are learning just on the trash talking thing when somebody brings up something else. You know that we're learning things all the time and not even realizing it. And wow, um, I don't know, uh, affinity grooves, participatory culture, these, these sorts of buzzwords. Yeah. People have read any of the stuff out of the MIT Media Lab. Like that, that's sort of the jam of this class, and I, yeah. I love it. That's awesome. How'd you get into that? There's an amazing professor, uh, Ramy Kalir. Uh, and if you look up hashtag marginal syllabus, which I think anybody who's listening to your podcast, Chris, and having these conversations would really dig this community that's gathering around marginal syllabus. Um, but Remy Kalir is a teacher at UC Denver, just amazing genius. He, he wrote this course and through just a turn of events, wasn't able to teach it and nobody on faculty wanted it. And so they, they kind of put it out and I got to apply for it and got it. And, and you got it and there you are. My and third year teaching it. it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it, it's. It's a really cool class. So speak a little bit about marginal syllabus. What is oh, that? Oh, man. So there's, so one of the really Sounds neat things happening in education that um, I, I'm really hoping a lot more people find out about it in the coming months and years because uh, is this idea of open annotation. And so there are web-based tools now where you can similarly, like on a Google Doc, where you can highlight something and then comment and on the margins. There are extensions now that allow us to do that sort of commenting on any page of on the internet and oh, wow. to do so collaboratively and publicly. So Marginal Syllabus is a community of educators that are getting together and, you know, kind of doing if, uh, annotation flash mobs, if you will, on a given text. And there is a huge focus on uh, equity. Um, hashtag techwity uh, tech is also being used in this community. And I didn't know that. One. Um, I mean, they've got, you know, Ramey in Colorado, they, they've got, um, um, I don't want to mispronounce her name, so I apologize if I get this wrong, but Bahimali in, in Egypt, amazing professor and chair out of Egypt. Um, so just some amazing folks who are leading this work and just showing the rest of us how to do it. And it also can lead to a lot of more meaningful interactions with text that, you know, in my college class, for example, they don't read stuff and then have a discussion thread on Canvas that nobody reads, they're just writing whatever to get their points. 
as they're reading, they are annotating. They are, I, I call it uptexting, right? They're taking the text, they're highlighting it, and then in the margins, adding additional context to what's happening there. Sometimes it's saying, I think this means this. Sometimes it's saying, asking a question. Sometimes it's pulling in an outside resource and linking to it. Right. Um, sometimes it's putting in a reaction gift, but, um, and then somebody else can reply to that. And all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden you're having basically a Socratic seminar in the margins of, of any text. Of any text. Um, and the, the, the title marginal syllabus That's actually so... happened from the notion of, uh, again, Professor Collier started having uh, his students annotate his syllabus. That was their first assignment. And so not just, so, so it kind of breaks down the hierarchical structure of just learn, teaching and learning that right. on day one, here's my syllabus. Let's break it apart. You break it apart. I, before I take out a red pen on anything, and by the way, I ain't gonna take a red pen this year, but right, right. <laughs> before I do, like, you are actually gonna take out a red pen on my syllabus. That's powerful. And that's given, that's given students voice. What Hopefully. more could you ask for? Hopefully. Right, it's creating the space for them to have voice. Um, one of the things that I, you know, you'll find if you go down this journey is that um, it's just so new. It doesn't tap into any kind of background knowledge or experience for, for our learners that a lot of them, you're basically putting out a welcome map, but they're not just gonna come inside. Mm-hmm. And so it does take a little bit of effort to right. kind of you know, go out and grab them and, and bring them in the door. They're, just because the door is open, welcome mats outside and the door is open doesn't mean they're gonna walk through. Right, right. That's uh, that's fascinating. I love that. <laughs> so, well, uh, thanks for the conversation today. Uh, take two here. Uh, it, was, it was a good little, good little ditty. Yeah, great. Well, yeah, I you know I did I had no idea what to expect with what in the world and uh, what it's, in the it's, world. It's been a uh, language podcast. Really inspirational. Opportunity to step really into a- step into what in the world. Well, it's. I appreciate you having me. It's a long name for a podcast. It's a great name. You've heard it here, folks. If you have any complaints, email to it doesn't exist at gmail.com. Does that sound familiar? See, I pay attention. No. You did pay attention. I pay attention. Well, thank you, sir. Hey, thank you. You're listening to One in the World Language Podcast.